Hello, listeners. Matt here. Hey, are you Pottern Family? Go on Twitter and search the hashtag Pottern Family or follow at Pottern Family to find a bevy of great podcasts, including this one. That's hashtag Pottern Family or at Pottern Family on Twitter. By the way, spoiler alert, this podcast will be talking about the most recent episode of the show that it covers. So if you're not caught up, come back when you are if you don't want to be spoiled. Don't worry, we'll be here waiting. Part of the Rewatching Good TV Network. It's Ragnar Cast, a Vikings podcast. And now here's your host, Matt Murdick. Hey there, and welcome to RagnarCast. Welcome back if you are returning, or welcome for the first time if you're brand new to this podcast. Thanks for finding us. Thanks for listening. This week, RagnarCast is covering Vikings on the History Channel, Season 4, Episode 4, entitled Yole, written by Michael Hurst, directed by Helen Shaver. It aired on March 10th of 2016 and was viewed by an estimated 2.23 million viewers. My name is Matt Murdick and I am from RagnarCast, that's R-A-G-N-A-R, cast.wordpress.com. That's your one-stop shop to find all things about this podcast, like all of the back episodes in downloadable or streaming form. We also have polls where you can rate each new episode as it comes out on a scale of 1 to 10 as to how you liked it. That's one way to contribute feedback. If you want to contribute feedback in other ways, there are lots of uh, information, uh, how to contact me, like ragnarcast at gmail.com, or tweeting at ragnarcast, or you can leave a voicemail, 314-669-1840, and all of those ways get you on this podcast where we talk about this show having a great time doing it, too, because I'm starting to get a lot more feedback. We had a caller this week, uh, had a couple of emails this week. It's it's starting to catch on a little bit. I love that the community is starting to build and that people are willing to contribute because I certainly don't know everything about, you know, the history of the Vikings or about uh, just the show in general. Everybody has differing opinions on what episodes they like or what they don't. You may have an opinion about whether you like this podcast or not. And I would appreciate it if you take the time to go to whatever podcatcher you use and leave me a written review on that podcatcher store page um, simply because it helps me kind of fine-tune what we're going to do with this podcast. We're relatively new. I'm still open to ideas and suggestions. Uh, I'm also open to, uh, you know, criticisms, just whatever you feel. Um, Be honest with your written review, but please leave it. It also helps me stay more noticeable among other great podcasts out there. And I guess that's it. That's all I really need to say about the podcast. Every week from here on out, uh, we're going to start the episode off by taking a few of the great quotes from the episode, some of them submitted by you. I personally chose the last scene, you know, and you are. That whole thing, but more so the story of King Finehair, because uh, I this is an interesting new character for me. So I chose uh, his little story to Aslog about why he wants to be the king of all Norway. And then we had a couple of submissions as well. For instance, at Cute Poison 10 submitted the bathtub conversation between Ragnar and Idu. And an email from Jennifer uh, wanted to hear Judas I Am Free to Ale. Uh, Jennifer also said... I think it may be a false hope for freedom, but she sure believes it. All right. Thanks, Jennifer. And here are those quotes for you. I cannot stop thinking about death. Death intrigues me. Death of children. Death of friends. But my own death continues to elude me. In my world, it is believed that 
Until your death is fate. Would you like to know the day of your death? In my world, you must have a life worth living before you can even consider death. In my world, I'm constantly torn between killing myself or everyone around me. You take me for a fool. It is bad enough that against all conscience and against all that is sacred that you have been allowed to paint the holy scriptures. But now, I see some gross and indecent familiarity between you and your father-in-law. My God, to think that you are my child. For what are you? But a bad wife and a bad mother. The very worst example of womanhood. If Aethelwolf asked my permission to beat you into submission, I would allow it. My lord, battered or not, it would make no difference. You don't own me, father, nor does any man own me. Though encumbered everywhere, I am free. I wanted to marry her, but... Uh... She turned me down. Be smarter. Why did she turn you down? I wasn't important enough. She had other offers. Why didn't you just take her? That's a good question, Queen Auslan. But uh, I don't know. I liked her spirit. I decided I had to be worthy of her. Bad luck. How could you do that? By making myself king of all Norway. Then she would marry me for sure. In order to become king of all Norway, you would have to overthrow my husband. He's king. He's dead. You lose. Ah. Good game, boys. Good game. Now look who's back. Alive. Well, Great stuff. Also want to comment on uh, at Cute Poison Tin's submission, the whole bathtub conversation and Ragnar talking about how he wants to kill himself or everybody else. It, it almost seems a little ominous. I mean, which way would that go down? In the past, it's pretty much been him killing everybody else, but I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure where it, what direction the season's going. I mean, are we going to... I can't see this television show going on without Ragnar so I'm assuming we're staying with him to the bitter end but this seemed like kind of like almost felt like a weird foreshadowing of, of something terrible coming down the line um, we'll have to see we'll have to see but it, it, it that's pretty ominous stuff there coming from Ragnar as equally it was my choice where he uh, more or less just kind of stares at King Finehair and and really belittles him by going and you are loved it loved it loved it loved it loved it let's get into talking about this episode and i have a feeling i'm going to be in the minority this particular podcast about this episode um some of the response to this episode said yeah it's good but i'm just kind of lukewarm about it 
Um, some people didn't like this particular episode. I personally, um, I guess on the surface, I felt like this episode was kind of all over the place between Bjorn and the Berserker and him going to Lagartha and Catacat. And then you have this wild weekend in Paris, <laughs> uh, even wilder drug party at Ragnar's hideout, uh, a dinner party in Wessex. Um, everything was just like, just all over the place, this particular episode. That, to me, was actually kind of good because I was kind of like, ooh, what's next with every scene? Now, for some people, that might not have worked. And I will say that on a first watch, um, some of the tying thematic material in this episode didn't hit me. It took me a second watch to, to hit me. Um, but it, it, it was packed with a lot of interesting stuff, nonetheless. Not only was the setting of a winter solstice type of holiday fairly present in all the storylines. It's kind of a thematic element. But there was also this theme of women's freedom as well. Um, Because you have like Torvi being given a choice between Bjorn and Erlander. You have Ragnar giving freedom to Edu. Uh, You even have our newest arrival, like King Finehair. He's, He's telling Aslog the story of him wanting to become worthy of the woman that he wanted to marry and finally you have like judith's declaration to her father and i have to say looking at it out after a second watch i really didn't find very much disappointment in this particular episode i will admit that on a first watch this episode didn't really rub me one way or the other it was just kind of meh um and it is very much a setup episode. A lot of the, the pieces are, are just moving uh, to get into place for, for more things to happen. Um, but I did find the, the thematic material on a second watch pretty compelling. Uh, and I did find that uh, most of the stuff was fairly entertaining as well. Like, first of all, thank the gods that they finally did something interesting in Paris this week. I. I still feel it was a little far-fetched for for Gisela to suddenly be okay with Rolo just because, you know, he learned her language and uh, the whole armband thing. Um, That seemed a little convenient. But once he... I I can understand why she'd be all about him once they finally consummated their marriage. Let me just put it that way. He's, you know, Rolo's probably a stud. Let's just put it that way. But this was so much better than just all the grunting and the sign language uh, they really needed to tone that down because that was getting very uninteresting to me and almost moronic. And while this was humorous and maybe even a little moronic in its own way, um, it still worked better for me. And you still have Rolo. I mean, what does this mean? I mean, he actually gave his armband to Gisla. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I trust Gisla, and I don't know if I trust that Rolo is really giving up on his Vikings. I, I kind of like, you know, she asked the question that we all wanted to ask is Rolo giving up. But at this point it's looking more and more like he actually is now, whether that's a big misdirect for us to, to the end of the season or something like that. I suppose that's a possibility. You know, they just keep digging the hole further and further. And then suddenly he's going to jump out of it. But I guess uh, at least right now, we're supposed to really be settled in the fact that Rolo is indeed going to work to defend Paris. And that's sad. I mean, there's always been a thing between Rolo and Ragnar about who has the power, who's the better warrior. They've always had these kind of rivalry kind of things. But I don't want to see it come to something as final as this. Um, and I, maybe for some of you, him killing his own men, um, maybe that was the final straw. Uh, for me, I still thought it might still be part of a ruse. And even this might still be part of a ruse. That's one I want to hope. But I, I, it's looking less and less that way. And now their marriage is consummated. So there, there's no easy way for him to just get out of this now. Now he's, uh, at least in the eyes of the church there, um, they are stuck together. So it's kind of interesting. I have to say that, you know, they, they showed them going off and having their fun, uh, during the dinner. Um, and they showed reactions of everybody and it almost seemed like it was more for a comical relief kind of thing than anything else. But I was expecting a little more of a reaction 
from Odo. But I guess maybe Odo thinks that he still has Therese and, and he's okay with that. Um, if you only knew, right? Uh, and then you have Roland and Therese themselves. They, they seem pretty equally uncomfortable. Um, maybe just a little bit of pleasure in it as well. Uh, as they, uh, did their, you know, as they kind of looked at Odo. So still waiting to see whether Teresa and, and Roland, if they have a, like a real plan for the power grab, if Odo should fall from the King's grace, likely will fall from the King's grace. But I guess maybe they felt this episode, um, that this events might push Odo even further, even faster. And even in her own way, I would say that that Gisla has has become liberated. She was throwing things in her father's face by rejecting Rolo. Now she's throwing things in his face, kind of by accepting Rolo. Um, and I, I really don't like her dad. Her dad's a wimp. Her dad is a wimp. Um, yeah, I shouldn't use words like that. But yeah, he he's he, he's not much of a leader to me, uh, at least. And I I guess that covers Paris for the most part, or at least my thoughts about it. Um, let's stay in the Christian realm, I suppose, and, and talk some Wessex. You have the arrival of King Ayla. He's just in time for Advent, so he, he gets nothing but gruel. That kind of seemed almost like a joke on his large stature uh, it, it, to very at the very start. And I, even Eckbert, he didn't hold back on it. Uh, I think that was directed straight at him in in a certain way. And and looking over the whole situation now, I suppose we can say that unless this ruling council in, in Mercia is a ruse intended to kill Aethelwulf and somehow to even absorb Northumbria, unless it is that elaborate, then there's really no pre-planning involved on Eckbert's part. I'm, I'm going to say that probably he didn't plan it like I suspected before. I, I'm wrong often. Uh, and I usually admit it when I'm wrong later. Uh, there's nothing else you can do, right? And even given the apparent, uh, like, Quinrith attraction to Aethelwulf, I, I certainly wouldn't think that she would want Aethelwulf killed, at least, even if she did want to kind of help King Eckbert absorb Northumbria. Still, I guess whether there is any plotting by Eckbert or Quinrith prior or not. Um, Ail's declaration at, at the gruel table about wanting to kill Ragnar and implying that he might also kill Magnus as well, because that's what that implication was to me. Um, I think that that probably raised the ear of Eckbert and Quinthrith both. Um, they, they both have an interest in Magnus, obviously. So just perhaps, uh, you know, as I spit into the wind here in wild speculation, maybe all of this overt show of affection between people who probably shouldn't be overt was designed to be a response to Aeolus' threat. Um, I did find it interesting, you know, that all of that seemed to happen right in front of Aeol, and I don't know if that's supposed to show us that he is that perceptive or if it was intended, but he did notice both Aethelwulf's little moment with Quinrith and of course, he noticed the Judith and Eckbert thing, yet he didn't confront Aethelwulf about it. He only confronted his daughter Judith about it. And he even said, you know, that he would allow Aethelwulf to beat her. I mean, it's in moments like these that I, I think while I might complain as to why we're following England at all, unless the Vikings are going to be returning there this season... Um, despite that, I, and I think that that's a legitimate complaint to have, but instead, I, I, you know, this whole standoff between Judith and her father and her declaration of freedom, I thought that was fantastic. I do worry that her reveling in the, in this freedom that Eckbert has seemingly given her uh, might be dangerous for her on, on a number of fronts. Um, and that, you know, she might be maybe buying into it a little bit too hard. But at the same time, I've never been a fan of her father, um, mainly because of his historical or, or at least the, the literature relation to Ragnar's fate that uh, Ayla has. 
and I'm not, I know I'm not pronouncing these names very well. I'm sorry. Um, I, I do like watching all of these characters interact though, uh, for sure. And, and whether that means that Ragnar will cross their paths again later in the season, it almost seems irrelevant at this point now, even if it did matter to us as viewers before, um, it almost seems like its own kind of little story within the story. And, and there are like, many established parallels and mirrorings between Eckbert and Ragnar already. So it's a possibility for us to see similar stories or actions play out to different ends as we go along as well. The different possibilities. Ragnar, you know, giving Edu freedom. Eckbert uh, attempting to make Judith feel like she's free. And how those two different stories, while similar may play out in completely different ways. And I think that's a good place to at least talk about part of Ragnar's story this week. As we all knew, you know, he had developed an interest in, in this slave, Edu, and we got at least a fractured backstory on her. Um, but he, just as Eckbert did with Judas, he, he kind of chose to use freedom for this woman as a, as a way to kind of reach her. And there's good reason for him to have interest in her. I mean, she is a foreign slave after all. And speaking of being on a merchant ship that was pirated, probably, I guess, near China, um, and then being brought back to Frankia uh, to be a slave, it feels like there are definitely some important pieces of her story missing. But there are also pieces that remind you a lot of Athelstan, and, and we know that uh, Ragnar had such a great relationship with Athelstan, um, and and part of her characteristics are very much like his. Um, this kind of defiance that turns into curiosity, and the question then becomes is whether it will actually turn into a friendship like Ragnar's friendship with Athelstan in the long run. I have to say I'm not so certain that it will. I mean... There, there's a lot of coaxing going on with Aslog to get them together, but I kind of want to hold off on that aspect for a moment. I mean, he, Ragnar has given Edu her freedom, but given like this weather and the location, I mean, where would she actually go? Where, where, where could she go? I think that was what was more implied than anything. And, that actually is what made me really worried when she started feeding Ragnar like the opiates or the medieval LSD or, or whatever it was. Those scenes were great. I, I don't even know what of what we saw on screen was supposed to be real or, or what we were supposed to perceive as being part of their own hallucination, like him eating the snake. Did he really eat a snake or was that just uh, part of his hallucination and we were just seeing it from the outside? Um, it was really wild and it was kind of fun and it was a trippy experience. Um, a little bit different than the mushroom experience from season one as well. It was also scary though. Like I said, I, I kept waiting for some other kind of shoe to drop because where, you know, has he really given Edu any freedom? Not really. She really can't go anywhere else. So, uh, and, and plus there's this whole thing about Aslog kind of sticking in the back of your mind. So I was worried that she was trying to OD him and he might get really sick or that uh, she would try to kill him while he was in kind of his trippy state, especially when they showed that shot of her hand dropping some of the stuff. I thought for sure she was up to something bad, but nothing happened, at least not this time. And their, their last little thing where they were very close together face to face um, during their little trippiness. I don't know if that's supposed to imply that they got together or not. Uh, I think that we're supposed to ask that question, and I'm not sure what the answer to that is yet. But, I, you know, everything did seem very, not only wild and trippy, but also very tense to me uh, until we got to that very last moment. And that's mostly because of Aslog, so let's talk about her for a moment. Aslog obviously has some kind of long play going on here. She wants her freedom to rule on her own. She wants the freedom to raise her children in the ways of the gods, not the way of the Christian God. And and just as a little sidebar, I think that that's something that I've always loved about this Viking culture in general. 
the Vikings actually acknowledged the existence of the Christian God, but they just happen to think that their gods are more powerful. You flip that on the other side, the Christians do not even acknowledge the Viking gods as anything more than imagination or false idols. They don't see them as real gods the same way that the Vikings see the Christian God as a real God. And that's been played out on this show a lot. But the fact that, you know, Aslog took Ivar to Floki really made hit that point home again to me. And there's just no way to me that Aslog is using Edu to distract Ragnar just so she has time to take Ivar to Floki for a period every day. Because, you know, Edu and, and Ragnar are off tripping somewhere. I mean, there's got to be a bigger play here. And I, and I don't know to what extent Edu has in terms of involvement, either knowingly or unknowingly. But she's definitely playing a part that Aslog has kind of designed for her. Again, I don't know if it's knowingly or unknowingly, because all you have to do is look at that smile on Aslog's face when uh, she saw Ragnar and, and Idu speaking about death earlier in the bath scene. Uh, and then she encourages Ragnar to do whatever he wants with Idu. And then she has this whole making certain that, that Ragnar's you know Christian influence doesn't influence her children in every way. And on top of all of that, then you have the arrival of this King Harold Finehair. Now, I, I did look up on a wiki uh, to, to read up a little bit about him, just a brief little bit. And again, I, I really don't claim to be any kind of Nordic legend or historical guru on this podcast. I mean, I'm looking at this more as a TV show um, than as a historical account. Um it, it is fun to find this stuff out, but it, it I know that a lot of people get way deeper into it than, than I do. I, I think that that's great. I think people should do that. And I hope that when I don't have a historical context for something that you will go ahead and write into me, like at ragnarcast at gmail.com or tweeting at ragnarcast or calling 314-669-1840 and, and point me in the right direction because I'm not going to have all of the answers all of the time. Um, and part of building this community is so that the community gets all of the answers collectively. And the only way we can do that is if you submit feedback. But anyway, you know, the thing that interests me was King Finehair here called himself, or at least said that he wanted to be the king of all Norway. I really thought that deserved some attention, so I looked up his name. And as it relates back to Aslog, I, I mean... There's this story that Finehair told her about wanting to rule all as a way to be worthy to a woman, a woman that uh, he didn't feel he was worthy of. And I, I thought it was a very strong impression that he made on her because I got the impression that Finehair was not saying he wanted to rule the woman. He just wanted to be worthy of her. He wanted to rule everybody else in order to be worthy of her. And that would instantly appeal to Aslog, I think. Um, she has more or less wanted to rule equally with Ragnar ever since she's been there. Um, or even on her own, as we found out at the beginning of the season. You know, she, she's thinking past Ragnar. But as it turns out, the story that Finehair tells Aslog, uh, that is actually part of his legend. And again, according to the wiki, there, there's really no mistaking who this guy is and, and what that might mean for Ragnar later down the line. For a moment, I considered when you think about that story about him being turned down by a woman because he wasn't worthy. Uh, I thought that maybe Aslog was the person that he was talking about, that they didn't actually knew each other from before. I mean, there was certainly an attraction there. Um, but uh, when I looked up the legend, it was actually uh, that Finehair proposed to, to a, a woman named Gita, which is interesting since we have Ragnar's daughter's uh, dead daughter's name being Gita. Um, but I, I don't think that the show adapted to make Aslog a, a substitute for this Gita now. Um, after I looked that up, it, it just seems a little too weird um, that they would know each other but be able to play off that ruse um, so easily and nobody there would know anything about it. But something that struck me about their conversation, and, and this relates back to Aslog, is Aslog did not seem worried when Finehair 
talked about ruling all of Norway until she saw Bjorn and Torvi. And that was when she all of a sudden became more stern with him and said that his quest would mean overthrowing Ragnar. And I, I love that scene. As well as, you know, Ragnar then coming in and acknowledging Bjorn and Torvi and, and, and then that awesome And You Are ending. Um, it's going to be very interesting next week to see how all this plays out. But uh, uh, look up the uh, King Harold Finehair if you want more information uh, about what that might mean for Ragnar or for the story of Kattegat. Um And like I said... Uh, Part of me wanted for a brief moment to believe that Aslug was the woman that he had proposed to originally, but once I looked up the information, not so sure that that's what the story is intending to tell us. I think it's just coincidence. And and the fact that he does seem to want to prove himself to a woman, which is something that Aslug would want a man to do. And it just feels like uh, she really wasn't all that upset about him wanting to rule everywhere until she saw that there were people who might perceive her ambition were in the room, like Bjorn and Torvi and Ragnar, eventually. Let me backtrack to Bjorn now. And, and, and thanks to my looking up some information about fine hair, I stumbled on some stuff that pertains to Bjorn that actually I'm surprised none of you called me out on yet in regards to uh, the, uh, the prior episode. I mean, maybe y'all just think I'm hopeless because I look more at the show than at any any information that the show is based on. Um, at any rate, now I understand a little more significance of Bjorn's battle with the bear because it's stated uh, that Finehair himself in that article about Finehair used a lot of berserkers in his conquests. And naturally, we have Bjorn facing off with the berserker in this episode. Um, so that made me look up the berserkers. <laughs> I just went on this little fact finding mission and then I looked up the berserkers and I didn't realize that berserkers often only wore either like a wolf or a bear skin into battle. And that Bjorn, when you think about it, he ultimately did win himself a bear skin, which I also found was what was considered to be a way to get Odin's blessing in a battle. If you, if you manage to kill a bear, and wear that bear's skin, that was something that would get Odin's blessing. So now that whole battle with the bear that Bjorn had uh, takes on a lot more of a spiritual significance to me than it did before. Before, it was just kind of a peril for for Bjorn. Um, but now I understand that there, there's actually a spiritual awakening going on here. Maybe now he has gained the blessing of, of Odin and what that might mean for him in, in the future. And then you have here where Bjorn is actually facing off against a berserker himself. And man, that was a scary fight. The way that guy kept disappearing and reappearing. I mean, I don't understand how he did that. One explanation I came up with was that since we got that tattoo scene right before Bjorn took off, is it possible that whatever kind of, however they ink themselves, that what he was using may not make him as uh, perceptive in terms of his senses? Or is it supposed to be implied that this guy had some kind of magical powers or was just really fast? And because you'd have wide shots and then he'd be nowhere around. I just didn't understand what gived about that. And, and, and I do understand that for dramatic purposes, it, you know, it's fantastic, but it, a, a little bit of explanation would have been nice for me. Um, an explanation of, of why the berserker kept le- letting Bjorn recover as well would have been nice because it seems like there were multiple times when he could have easily bested Bjorn and just finished him, but instead then he'd disappear again. And, and that's one of the problems that dramatic television seems to continue to have, no matter what kind of story it is or whatever. Putting a character in peril that ultimately has a fate that doesn't put him in peril uh, for a long time, uh, it's, it's hard to make that sellable. You know, uh, it's really hard to sell that. Um, but the berserker appearing and disappearing, that was the, the way they did it this time around. But that's probably my only like real complaint about the execution of the episode this week is the fact that the Bjorn fight um, seemed like he got a lot of breaks really conveniently. Of course, I guess we could chalk that up to Odin's blessing, right? Well, maybe, maybe if I just uh, try to look at it, put a positive spin on it, I can do it that way. 
But anyway, most of the sequences themselves, though, they were great. And, oh, what a gross ending. I mean, I, I guess we know why it takes so long for food to get from one end to the other now, eh? <laughs> yeah. uh. And then Bjorn sniffs it, too. I mean, that's gross. <laughs> uh, but now he does have this ring. He has the ring that Erlander gave to uh, to the Berserker. Uh, or I guess technically it's still Horik's ring. Well, Horik's dead, so I guess it is Erlander's ring. Um, but the question is, did Bjorn actually make the connection? Did he come to take Torvi away simply because he had made that connection? I mean, I honestly don't think so, given him and Torvi's past, and the fact that he was actually seemingly willing to walk away when he, when you know, she hesitated about having to to leave her child. But the question is, still, did he make the connection? And if he did make the connection, then he's obviously playing it really cool, a lot cooler than you would expect Bjorn to be able to play. Um, yet I, I suppose after learning from his father, like in Paris and all that, he, he could be, he could be playing it cool. He could be playing a long game, but if he didn't make the connection yet, then you can bet somewhere down the line he will. And I just hope it's not too late for Lagertha by then, which that was another small complaint I guess I have for this season as a whole is there's just not enough Lagertha in this in this season um at least since the premiere uh, and and don't get me wrong she was giving good advice today but i i actually want to see this calf lagertha erlander stuff kind of move forward um so that we can figure out what calf's actual play is here because it still seems really weird he's just kind of back and forth one way back and forth the other um, obviously, he was nervous when Bjorn walked in. He thought he was going to get called out, um, or at least that Erlander was going to get called out. And then, of course, who knows what Erlander would have said uh, if he did get called out. But anyway, so you have uh, Torvi and Bjorn. They end up taking off, and they wind up in Kattegat, just in time to be spotted by Aslog and, and greeted by Ragnar. Thinking about this whole spiritual emergence that I just discovered that I should have known this week in regards to Bjorn and, and the bear, it makes me think about that map that he has with him. And, and I'm hoping that at least by the end of this show, we get at a minimum him starting on that journey. I mean, and I'm talking about, you know, he can stay here in Kattegat as long as he wants and he can go off and fight as many battles with Ragnar as he wants. But the fact that they introduced that map... I'm hoping that by the end, at very least the end of the series, we see him on that journey or at least starting to go on that journey so that we can kind of complete history uh, from that point. I'm not sure if we heard any wolves this time, though. And that was, I have to say, just as as somebody who was touting it so much, uh, I, I was a little disappointed. I, maybe there were wolves. Did anybody hear any wolves? Let me know if you heard wolves or not. Um, it. Because if not, then uh, it, it pretty much tears a hole in my whole Fenrir connection that I proposed at the v very beginning of the season. But again, oh well, I'm wrong often, so it's it's no surprise that I would be wrong about that too. You know, thanks for playing, Matt. Here's your consolation prize: a great episode, a better episode than what you had thought it would be. Um, speaking of consolation prizes. <laughs> Folky kind of got a consolation prize this week. He, he got Ivar to teach, and he got a lick from a seer. We had kind of wondered if Aslog would ask for Floki's help to overthrow Ragnar, and while that may or may not happen yet in a, in a literal sense, it would certainly seem to me that Aslog is asking for Floki's help to return the culture back to some sense of normalcy uh, after Ragnar is gone. Um, so, uh, he could be working for her in that way to just restore, you know, the religion that Ragnar, she, she obviously feels like Ragnar's been influenced way too much by the Christian God and by Athelstan. But as far as Aslog goes, bringing Ivar to Floki, I actually kind of praise her a little bit here because she does love her son and she feels like Ragnar's influence might hurt Ivar especially when you think about that scene with the mistletoe and all. Um, on top of that, I mean, you look at the benefit for Floki and even Helga 
that Aslog provides by asking him to help teach Ivar because they may not get to raise Ivar in, in the way that, you know, they would get to raise their daughter Angraboda, but they can help shape him. They can teach him. And I, and I'm betting kind of in their own way, Floki and Helka will love Ivar as well. Uh, I mean, so long as Floki does not blame Ragnar for Angraboda's death, but I, I think it's good for them to have a child in their lives. And, and so in that way, Aslog is actually doing Floki and, and Helga a service as well. Um, of course, what intrigued me most about Floki this week was the scene with the seer. I mean, what does that mean? I, I, I guess Floki is to become the new seer. And what kind of power does that give him? How does he get that power? What, kind of sacrifice does him getting that power entail you might even tie this into kind of the whole winter solstice slash christmas theme of the episode and saying that um, this is the birth of the current seer's messiah he's coming to replace the old seer and so the seer sees him as his own messiah Uh, if you really want to get thematic about it and is that what we are seeing here? I mean, if Floki does become a seer, how could that position influence what happens in Kattegat or to Ragnar himself or to anybody in our story? I, I, I mean, that this is a potentially a, a super great twist that I, I just don't have my head around. And again, I don't know enough about historical context or anything to to know if there's any kind of clues I could dig up by looking. I suppose I should go look uh, some more for this, but I just about um, wikied myself out with the whole fine hair and Bjorn stuff. That's most of the characters, I think. Uh, if I miss something, just feel free to shout at me. Send me an email, you know, ragnarcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet at ragnarcast, or you can call the listener line and leave a voicemail, 314 669 one eight four zero. Just fill in any blanks that I've left out, and we'll share them in the next podcast. Um, got a couple of last little odds and ends. First of all, just kind of a Matt's tomato. And if you don't know what I mean by that, um, I, I used to podcast about Lost, and I complained, how could they have ever gotten tomatoes on the island? Uh, how could the survivors have gotten tomatoes? Maybe the others, but that's anyway. Um, in other words, it's something that doesn't really matter in the context of the story, but it's just a little nitpick. That's what a Matt's tomato is. Um, But does anyone notice how it's always snowing in Kattegat this season, except when a boat arrives? (laughs) Everything just seems to melt away so that a boat can arrive. And then it goes back to being snowy after the boat is docked. Um, That's one of those little Matt tomatoes that that annoy me just a little bit. But it's so nitpicky that... You know, it's not like it it holds anything against the episode overall, but uh, I just thought I'd point that out. One thing I do applaud the show for is reminding us that the Christian holiday traditions that we have today, or at least the modern ones, um, they do incorporate a lot of the old pagan holiday counterparts. For instance, here you have the Yule Log, you have the mistletoe. Um, I would say that during that ceremony that blood ceremony that they did, uh, even that, that fire that they built. I mean, the way it was, uh, kind of all of the logs went up to a point, it kind of reminded you of a Christmas tree in a way. And then there are just the straight Christian jokes. I loved, uh, Quinthris, uh, we three Kings joke. That was great. And it was just kind of cheesy enough to, to be almost a fourth wall kind of thing. That was great. So, once again, uh, the show did a really nice job of presenting all of these various solstice holidays um, as a theme to kind of tie across all of the storylines. I thought that was fantastic. And that pretty much brings me to my rating. I will say that I, I really like this episode. Um, as I stated at the top, my first watch was probably a little overwhelming in trying to find like a, a through line for the up. But my second watch allowed me to find these themes of of the holidays and and women's freedom. And I loved the way it all tied together, to be 
perfectly honest. Um, there was some fun in it. There was some crazy in it. Um, there were some micro dives into character. There was a couple of revelations. Um, there was a really good fight scene. My only real hits on the episode were pretty minor, but I, I still don't feel quite as impacted by the episode as I did say, like the season premiere. Um, and that's a little weird for me to say, because I, I think intellectually speaking, this episode is probably better than the premiere, but on an emotional level, not so much. Um, and I, you know, as you all know, I'm pretty much a sap. So I will try to, uh, I'll try to balance my intellect and my heart, but I don't think I can go above an eight point four or an 8.5 this week. I really like the episode. I just don't think it quite measured up in terms of impact to me as the uh, season premiere. If you have any questions or comments about my thoughts this week, feel free to send them to me. I think I've already said all of the contact information too many times. You're probably tired of hearing me say it, but let's hear from some of you as we try to describe the episodes in three words. That's next. Hi, this is for Ragnarcast. My name is Bridget, and I would say the three words are girl and guy, because that's all that happened with a bunch of girls and a bunch of guys. All right, Bridget, thank you so much for the voicemail. Yeah, there was a lot of girl and guy pair-ups in this episode, for certain. As for my three words, I actually, I have two. It's where you try to describe the episode in three words. That's what we try to do here. And you can do it in a couple of different ways. You can either do something about the scene that impacted you most or um, or a, a line from the show. Or you can just do a, an overview. Uh, like this overview of mine is ominous Yule Tidings. Because to me, there were, there were lots of different cultures celebrating their respective winter holidays. But you have also a whole bunch of different kinds of ominous things that go with that. You have like Ale threatening... Quintrith, or Magnus, more or less. You have the arrival of this ambitious King Harold Finehair. You have uh, Bjorn coming and taking Torvi away from Erlander. There's lots of bad blood in this episode, to be perfectly honest. So that was one of mine. And my second one uh, is more scene-specific. which And this one is Floki's Destiny Revealed. I mean, as I asked in the main section of the podcast, will he become a seer? How will he come become a seer? What does that mean for everybody else there in Kattegat? So, Floki's destiny revealed? I guess I could put it as a question. Um, hey, how about a third? Boy Scout Bjorn. I think he earned his Knots badge in that battle with the Berserker. Uh, I'm not sure if there is a patch for tattoos, though. Anyway, we've got a, a couple other ones here. We've got uh, two tweets. First of all, we've got from at two fangirls. That's girls with a Z, uh, the number two. At number two fangirls with a Z. Who says, my three words are, and you are. The very last words of the episode. That's great. At cute poison ten says, Rolo Gisla Epiphany. Yeah, uh, and send a, a second set as well, which was the same as at two fan girls. Uh, it's and you are uh, at cute boys and ten, our good friend who got me started into this podcast in the first place. She also rated the episode an eight out of ten. She said. Uh, then we have a couple of emails. Thank you very much for sending these emails, guys. Uh, the first one from Angel, who says, Your podcast won over the multitude of other Vikings podcasts for me. My three words are Ragnar's new foe. King Harold is recognized as the first king of Norway, so I imagine that he will attempt to incorporate Kattegat and succeed. But let's enjoy how that plays out. All right. Great thoughts, Angel. Thanks so much for choosing this podcast as well. I feel very honored, and I hope I have not already uh, tarnished that honor with this podcast so far. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. And then we have an email from Jennifer as well, and you heard her uh, quote submission earlier in the episode. 
But this from Jennifer, who says, My three words are, I am free. Both Edu and Judith are now free. Excellent. Thank you, Jennifer. Appreciate it. And that's all we have for the three words this week. You can submit three words, as I said. Just think of how to describe the overall episode in three words, or uh, maybe a line from the episode, or whatever impacts you about the episode. Just describe that part in three words, and send it in to me. Uh, We usually need our submissions in by, uh, let's say, 11 a.m. Central Daylight Time, on Sundays in order for me to be able to include it in the podcast which comes out on Mondays how do you do that? you send an email to ragnarcast at gmail.com or you can tweet at ragnarcast on twitter or you can call 314-669-1840 the same way Bridget did and leave a voicemail up next we have the segment that uh, still eludes a lot of people, but I think you're coming into it. it. We're getting a few more responses on it as well. It's called the Frig of the Week. It's the best coupling of the week. And that's next here on Ragnarcast. So clearly three little words, eight little letters, but simply mean I love you. My name is Bridget, and I would say that the freak of the week is Ivar and Loki, and I am happy, I'm sorry, and Floki. I'm very happy about that. So I'm very happy to see where that's going to go. And once again, thanks, Bridget, so much for submitting a voicemail, for calling the listener line and and leaving your thoughts. We're going to hear Bridget's full voicemail in just a moment. After we finish this segment, we'll have our feedback with all of her thoughts about the episode that we got from her voicemail. Um, good thoughts. Yeah, Floki and Ivar. Um, that's going to be very interesting. It might be that Floki's influence on Ivar is what shapes the greatness that we know historically that Ivar uh, became, or at least in the legends as it goes. And so, uh, good thoughts there. Um, I think that I will go with Floki and the seer myself because you know nothing like getting licked back every once in a while right oh yeah right uh, but yeah you know spend your whole life licking a guy's palm and now all of a sudden he licks yours finally payback ah the match made in heaven uh no uh, how about this one instead how about bjorn and emergence as a true proven man because that's what has happened with the bear he's gotten odin's blessing evidently um he's now faced off against a berserker he's grown a lot this season he went and got torvi back um i I mean he's kind of become the man that his historical equivalent uh legend seems to be so Uh, I think that that's a pretty good one. And see, that's what we do. You can put together two people, like Bridget did, or like my Floki and the Seer. Or you can put together a person and a concept, like I just did there. Or you can put together a person and an object. And it doesn't necessarily have to be romantic. It can just be plutonic. It can be whatever you want it to be. Just whatever you think the best coupling of the episode was. It'd be kind of hard to couple maybe just two objects together. But if there's a way to do it, then feel free to do it. Uh, got two tweets. Uh, the first one from at the number two fangirls with a Z, whose frig of the week this week was the literal frig of the week. It was Rolo and the Princess. Very good. And then, of course, our friend Christine at CutePoison10 on Twitter. 
She went the other route with the other couple. She went Ragnar and Edu. So those were very good. And once again, I'd love to get yours. Thanks so much to you guys for participating. And uh, we have a couple more thoughts coming up in the feedback section next. Love can make it Take my heart and please don't break it Love was made for me and you For me and you For me and you For me and you Hi, this is for Ragnarcast. My name is Bridget. I'm on the Oregon coast and I'm the one who called in last week and forgot to leave my name. Um, I must admit, this was not my favorite episode. It seemed like the Valentine's special or the end of Doubt Nappy. And I would say the three words are girl and guy, because that's all that happened with a bunch of girls and a bunch of guys. Um, I would say that the freak of the week is Ivar and Loki, and I am happy. I'm sorry, and Floki. I'm very happy about that. So I'm very happy to see where that's going to go. Although Floki's attitude toward the queen there's still something going on with Floki. Okay, I wish I could say more. I had to look up. There are snakes in Norway. Okay, thank you so much. Keep up the wonderful work. I love it. Bye-bye. All right, Bridget. Thank you so much for that great voicemail. Um, and as you know, I just kind of took your pieces for your uh, uh, your frig of the week and for your, for your three words and, and kind of pieced them together so that they'd work for the format that I put them in. Um, but here with your, all of your thoughts, uh, I, I appreciate them. And I think that probably for the most part, you're the majority viewer, um, that this episode was just okay. It wasn't quite what you were expecting. It is an episode where pieces are moving, um, and not really doing anything other than just being picked up and, and placed in different places, um, for the most part. Uh, it also is an episode that seemed very segregated in its own way because of all of the coupling and, and all of that, like you mentioned. Um, and I didn't know that there were actually snakes in Norway either. So um, thanks for pointing that out. And now we know. Now we know. Also, uh, I have a, a couple of things from uh, different people in regards to last week's podcast. This one on Twitter from at Classical Bow. That's classical B-E-A-U on Twitter. Um, they said, uh, this was about my thoughts about Ragnar uh, setting Floki free because Helga had suffered enough. Um, they say, Ragnar set him free because Athelstan basically told him to, not because he felt bad for Helga. And I agree with that. Uh, I do agree that that was the primary reasoning. My problem is, is that he did tell Helga that, and I feel like he has felt uh, bad for Helga because of everything that's happened to Floki, especially since he didn't intend for any of this to happen to Floki. It was Bjorn who set all of this in motion. On the other hand, I do find it awfully convenient to have Athelstan appear suddenly and that turn Ragnar around. Um, I would have rather seen Ragnar go through that process on his own without spiritual intervention. I think that was my big complaint. Not, I wasn't specifically saying that he did it only for Helga. I was just saying that that might have been another contributing factor. And similarly, I got a blog comment, um, and I'm not really sure if this is the same person or two different people with the same thought, uh, but Kukumo on the blog said, Athelstan saved Floki's life. Ragnar did not let Floki go because of Helga. He did it for Athelstan. So, once again, good thoughts. Thanks for calling me out on stuff you disagree with me about. That's what I love about building a community, is hearing people's thoughts, even if they are calling me out on my own thoughts. That's perfectly fine. That's what we're all about here. The idea is to have a conversation, and I really appreciate you guys taking the time to uh, submit things like this. Really appreciate it. Uh, poll results still to go uh, every week at Ragnarcast. That's R-A-G-N-A-R-C-A-S-T dot WordPress dot com. We have polls where you can rate the new episodes. I put them up the day that the episode 
airs, and I leave them open until pretty much Sunday morning, so you have time to rate the episode yourself on a scale of 1 to 10. Um, but uh, if you vote, then you count as the general tabulation, and here's what we got. Um, this week, four vote-getters for episode four, Yol, and the top vote-getter with 44% of the vote was eight out of ten. Then there was a tie between uh, seven out of ten and nine out of ten with about 22%. And then uh, finally, there was uh, the rest went to ten out of ten, which is somewhere between 11 and 12%. Uh, I typically round these so that uh, just to kind of give you round numbers rather than going to the decimal points. I'm kind of tired of doing decimal points, actually. So I'm going to just give you rounded numbers if I can. Uh, but thank you very much for taking time to participate in the poll. Thanks for submitting three words. Thanks for submitting Frig of the Week. Um, all of that stuff is just so great that we're getting this community building. I, I love that we're getting feedback where people are disagreeing with me. I love that we're getting feedback uh, in terms of voicemails. And you can participate, too. Like leaving a voicemail like Bridget did, you can just call 314-669-1840 and leave your thoughts that way. Or you can send an email to ragnarcast at gmail.com or you can tweet at ragnarcast as well. We'll see you next week with a new episode. Thanks again so much for taking the time to listen. And I appreciate you sticking with us. Until next time, this is Matt. Take care. Contact the podcast by emailing ragnarcast at gmail.com or by calling 314-669-1840. Tweet to the podcast at ragnarcast. Please leave the podcast a written review on your podcatcher and find all back episodes and other links at ragnarcast.wordpress.com.